Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, thinking through God's word together. Glad you could join us. I realize I put the wrong time on the uh, the live alert, so some of our people may not have been alerted at seven o'clock and uh, or for seven thirty. So I hope uh, hope everybody finds their way here. Uh, Paul, yes, uh, am I ready to tackle Revelation yet? Ah, uh, man, uh, I yeah. That'd be fun. Uh, I'm glad you're enjoying this series. Today is May 12th, and on a personal note, this is a special day for me. Uh, my father, who passed away just a few years ago, today would be his 100th birthday, which is pretty crazy to think about. He died in 2019, and uh, I think he made it almost a century, which is pretty crazy. I was talking to my family about that and said, you know, if... Uh, if that's uh, if that's my uh, future, I'm only about halfway there. So <laughs> who knows? That's that's kind of crazy. All right, so we're uh, doing some Q and A here, working our way through sort of the aftermath of Romans nine through eleven, and we've gotten into the Olivet discourse. And uh, I I got to tell you, I just finished up a course uh, Tuesday night for the uh, NCST, the New Covenant School of Theology, and that course was the Old Testament prophets. So I had Four weeks, Monday and Tuesday nights for three hours each, so basically 24 hours spread over four weeks to cover the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah through Malachi. That is a lot of territory, and uh, it was it was quite a beast. This is the first time that I have taught that course. One of the things I realized as I was going through it, both for myself and for our students, is we don't have a really great grasp on the prophets. Uh, Christians is what I mean. We, we, we just don't know the content and it confuses us. And I think it's largely neglected. So I say all that to say, as I consider what we're going to do next, when we get done with our uh, Q&A here today and, and tomorrow, um, I've got a couple ideas, a couple series that I was planning on doing. But part of me says... We should just dive in and start working our way through the prophets. And eventually that might lead us, Paul, to, uh, to the book of Revelation. So I don't know. Uh, if you want to weigh in on that, if you have, if you have thoughts, I'm open, open to that. So let's get to, uh, to our Q&A, get to some of the things we've been talking about. And I want to start with the text, ask some questions, and then we will come back and look at some of the, uh, the questions, the comments, and or the chat here. Um, so Matthew 24, we've been kind of looking at this section, a uh, very familiar section to those who have studied eschatology in times, that kind of thing. Jesus says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near, so you too... When you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things, all these things 
take place. So we have looked at this and I have tried to show how these images of uh, what's going on in the heavens and the coming of the Son of Man and all that is taken from the prophets, predicting Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of Man, entering into his kingdom. And we've been tying that to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD and uh, the, the kingdom beginning to flourish from that point forward. So if you've been with me, then uh, maybe I've persuaded you that's what Jesus is talking about. Maybe not. Maybe you are uh, still persuaded this is talking about the future and the return of Christ, his second coming. Uh, I'm convinced that everything prior to verse 34 here takes place in the, in the first century because Jesus says here, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place place. So I'm persuaded that everything that comes before this is about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Then things get a little bit more interesting, starting at verse 36. I think I mentioned this yesterday, but people, uh, even those who, who fall into the same camp that I do that see this as being fulfilled in 70 AD, at some point, it seems like there is a transition to the future, to our future, to the coming of Christ uh, at the end. And the question is, where is that uh, transition? Um, and and I told you that I kind of, I think, I think there must be a transition because of what we get to in chapter 25. Let me, uh, let me fast forward there for a moment. And uh, th- this whole scene here of the, uh, the sheep and the goats, um, what verse is that? Some of you probably know right at the top of your head. Here it is. Verse 31 of Matthew 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and he and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. And then there's this whole bit about uh, him blessing and and sending some the, the sheep to uh, to eternal life and the uh, the goats to eternal punishment. That sounds like the end, doesn't it? That sounds like the uh, the final judgment scene. Uh, if that's true, then there is a transition somewhere here in this uh, in Jesus's words that push us toward the second coming. If it's not true, then we've got to figure out what that sheep and the goats scene, uh, what that has to do with prior to the return of Christ. Now, you, make that, you may think that's absolutely crazy to think that there's any way that that is not the second coming. And again, right now, I, I, I think it's a second coming, but he is referring to, or at least alluding to, a passage in Ezekiel about separating the sheep from the sheep or the sheep from the goats and judging them in that, in that day. And it has to do with the fall of Jerusalem. So I'm not persuaded that's what he's alluding to, but it is interesting to think about. Okay, so uh, let's move a little further here in Matthew 24 and ask some questions about it, and then we'll look at another passage and see if we can make sense of any of this. So some think Jesus is transitioning right here, Matthew 24, verse 36. So he says in 34, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And then he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. So the question is, is Jesus referring to that day as in the day 
that the Son of Man is coming to destroy Jerusalem? Or is he talking about that day, meaning a day far in the future? What is interesting to me is this word, that day, this little phrase, that day, occurs over and over again in the prophets. And sometimes it is very clearly referring to the fall of Jerusalem. Sometimes it seems to be referring to something else. And so this, this could be that Jesus is simply saying that day I just told you about, uh, the fall of Jerusalem is, is coming. Could be that he's pointing forward to some future day. This is the hard part about a prophecy. It's just hard. Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Now, again, you may be accustomed to think the coming of the Son of Man has to be the, the second coming, what we call the second coming. But in the context so far, it's not. If we're persuaded that this is all about the fall of Jerusalem, then the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. See that phrase here? The Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. That's him entering his kingdom. So the coming of the Son of Man here could be uh, coming in judgment on Israel. And it'll be like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's nothing in the context so far that pushes this beyond Jesus' generation. Now, I don't know. I'm not landing hard on that. I'm just saying, as you're reading this in the context, this would all fit. So if so, then what he's saying is, uh, I'm predicting, I'm, I'm telling you ahead of time, that when you see the armies gathered around Jerusalem, that's when you know, that's the sign that uh, Jerusalem's going to fall and the temple's going to be destroyed. And he says, flee, flee for the hills. Well, he, he could be comparing that time to the days of Noah, right? Noah is building the ark and everyone's going about their business, living life. And it took years and years for Noah to build that ark. And then Noah and uh, his family got on the ark and they led the animals on and so on. And people are still living their lives. And then the rain started coming and there was no sudden warning uh, that this flood is going to destroy the earth. It just started raining and raining and raining and raining. And then by the time people realized uh, how deep the water was going to go, it was too late. And the ark was closed off and so on. Well, he could be saying a similar thing that, look, for the next generation... Again, we now know this is 70 AD, or at least the previous part of Matthew 24 is 70 AD. He could be saying uh, people are going to be living their lives for the next 40 years. Right? Jews are going to be living their lives in Jerusalem. And they're going to be eating and drinking and getting married and having children. And then the Jerusalem, the city is going to be surrounded by the armies of, uh, of Titus uh, from Rome and they're going to lay siege to the city, and suddenly they're going to find themselves surrounded. This is a question someone was asking about. can't remember if it was Paul or who. Um, if this is still in the context of 70 AD, there will be two men in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Now, some of you come from the, uh, the dispensational background that this is all talking about the rapture. 
and you've been taught that there'll be two in the field, one will be taken, one will be left, meaning uh, this is this is a scenario you get where uh, there's an airplane, airplane pilot who's a Christian, right? And he's taken out of the captain's seat and the plane uh, plunges to the ground or maybe it's got a co-pilot, <laughs> but there's a car being driven and, uh, <clears throat> and the Christian's driving it and uh, the Lord raptures him out of that car. And so that car goes crashing into uh, the traffic ahead of him. Of course, maybe if he's in a, a Tesla or one of the modern cars, then uh, nobody will die. Um, I, I don't think that's what's being said here, especially if this is about the 70 AD. Uh, if, if this is about 70 AD, then it means two men are in the field. One will be taken by the Romans and the other will be left and remain alive. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. The other one will be left. Uh, Therefore, be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. So again, in the context, it sounds like he is, uh, he's warning them to be ready any day now for the, uh, the soldiers. I see a couple of uh, comments here. Let me take a look. Uh, Paul says, actually, that's a good idea about the prophets. It serves a good foundation for revelation. Well, that's true. Uh, Lewis says, how about that day being the day that the Son of Man is revealed? We're going to go to Luke 17. Yeah. Uh, I used to think Noah's about the final end, but here, yep, we're going to look at that here in just a minute. Uh, there are some some obvious parallels here from this passage in Luke 17. So let me just keep walking through Matthew 24, and then we'll take a look at that. Well, um, hmm. Yeah, let me just keep, let me do that. Therefore, be on the alert for you do not know which day the Lord is coming. Be sure of this. If the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour when you will not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. So again, if this is future for us, this is the second coming, as we call it, uh, then it's just a general always be ready. If it's a 70 AD prediction, he's telling the Jews and actually the disciples, um, it's coming in sometime in your lifetime you don't know, and you need to be ready and you'll be blessed uh, if he finds you in charge. Uh, Peter says, I could never understand the taken part of the rapture, uh, which is not big in the UK. Even has it ever been big in the UK? I know it just swept through the US some years ago, but I'm curious if in the UK uh, are the ones left at Noah's days where Noah and his family, everyone else was taken. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's look at, uh, at Luke 17 that uh, Lewis brought up and, and see what the context here is. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, right? So the Pharisees are asking Jesus, when is the kingdom? You're the, you claim to be the Messiah, Jesus. When's the kingdom of God coming? The kingdom that was prophesied about in uh, Daniel 2, for instance, and other places. Jesus' answer is interesting. The kingdom of God is not coming now, the NAS here says, with signs to be observed. Literally, it's just the word with observation. Uh, it is uh, singular here. The kingdom of God is not coming with observation. Isn't that interesting? Next verse. Nor will they say, look here or there. 
For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst or within you or inside you. Huh. So here the specific question is, when is the kingdom of God? And Jesus' answer is uh, about the nature, not the timing, but the nature. It's not coming with observation. We can say here, there, but it's in your midst. Now, this is not the only thing the Bible says about the kingdom of God, but just let's wrestle with that for a minute. We, if you think the kingdom of God is future for us, then it is to be observed, right? Jesus is physically coming back to set up his kingdom. If you are a premillennialist, if you're looking for a future kingdom on earth, then, then at least this passage, you've got to make sense of this passage. And maybe you'll say, oh, that's the already not yet. Maybe. But again, we've always got to, we've got to have clear scriptural teaching to back up our, our presuppositions. Now, I'm not throwing that out completely. I, I think uh, there is a component. It seems like there must be a component of already not yet. But uh, Jesus has specifically asked the question, when? When is the kingdom? And his response is, it's not coming with observation. It's not a kingdom that people will say, here's the kingdom, there's the kingdom. Instead, he says, the kingdom is, is among you or in your midst or within you, inside you kind of thing. The Amil folks love this verse. If you are an Amil person, and I know we've got quite a few Amil people along here, you love this. See, the kingdom of his, Jesus is reigning in the hearts of his people. And the question for you Amil folks is, what do you do with all the passages that talk about um, the kingdom expanding across the entire earth kind of thing? Anyway, I know I'm opening up all kinds of things. Jesus continues. He said to his disciples in the context here, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And he's talking to, to his disciples here, right? And he says, brothers, Peter, Andrew, James, John, you're going to long for one of the days of the Son of Man, and you won't see it. What does that mean? What does that mean? What are, what are these days of the Son of Man? They will long to see, but they won't. They will say to you, who's the they? They will say to you, look there, look here, right? Very similar to what he says back here. The kingdom of God is not the kind of kingdom where they will say, look there. And yet they will say, look here, look there. So it seems like what Jesus is warning them about is the kingdom is not the kind of thing that you can see. So if people start saying, look, here's the kingdom, don't go after them. Someone asked in one of the comments, what about the false Christ and false messiahs? Well, there have always been false Christs and false messiahs since the time of Jesus. But uh, if you read Josephus and others, there seems to be uh, some of these folks around before 70 AD, people who claim to be the Messiah. Jesus says, don't run after them. Don't, don't go away. 
for just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. You can't miss it. You, you can't miss the Son of Man in his day. Again, I think this is, he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem, in which case this is similar to what he says in chapter 21, that when you see the Roman armies, like you, you can't miss this, right? When you see the Son of Man, uh, sorry, when you see, I just saw a comment here. Uh, when you see the, um, the armies surrounding Jerusalem, you, you need to run. The siege is coming. The destruction of the city is coming. The fall of Jerusalem is at hand. Get out of there. Um, you can't miss that. Again, when the soldiers show up, you can't miss it. Um, I was uh, I grew up in St. Louis, and every Fourth of July for years, we had what was called the uh, the Vale Prophet Parade, the VP Parade, I think, or Fair. I think it's now called Fair St. Louis. I don't know if they still do it, but um, one of the highlights for me as a kid growing up in this this huge, you know, thousand thousand tens of thousands of people over the weekend would come um, was uh, an Air Force an air show. Uh, Scott Air Force Base was not too far away, and they would bring in all the, the cool planes. And I remember distinctly the year that the, uh, the stealth uh, bomber came through. And it was, it was you know, uh, futuristic, as we say. And you couldn't hear it until it was on you. And you think, man, uh, talk about a surprise attack and the fact that it can uh, deflect the, the radar sonar or whatever it is. that, that It can be undetected by the, uh, by the enemy. A surprise attack is, is very possible. Well, you couldn't do that in the ancient days, right? <laughs> when the army, when the soldiers mounted their charge, again, you could have scouts out, reports about it. It took a while to march across the land and to take a, an army from Rome to Jerusalem just didn't happen quickly. And so Jesus here is saying, it's going to be as obvious as lightning shining across the sky. You won't miss it if this is talking about 70 AD. A uh, new brother here, or, well, I don't know if it's a brother or sister, uh, ask if you are on-mill or post-mill. Sorry, new here. Yeah, um, I'm not on-mill. Uh, I'm not willing to call myself post-mill. Uh, I've coined the term optimill. <laughs> I'm very optimistic about the future. Uh, the passages that seem clear to me about the gospel bearing fruit in all the earth and that having significant positive ramifications for civilization and for governments and for technology and all of those things. I, I believe that the mandate God gave us in the garden to rule and subdue the earth is still upon us and that now that G Jesus has come and the gospel is going to bear fruit in all the nations, I believe we will uh, manifest that ruling and subduing the earth like never before and um, there's there are better days ahead. Not you know, so I sound post-mill, I know, but the traditional post-mill view of this golden age where, you know, 95% or more of the population on planet Earth are Christian, that's the part that I struggle with because the, even the passages that seem so post-mill uh, also have, it seems to me, plenty of, of opposition and unbelief around and that kind of thing. So I'm still working my way through it. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this. And uh, if I go through the prophets as, uh, as 
Paul encouraged here. Uh, that's going to be part of the task is try to figure out what are these prophecies uh, talk about this, the, the, the blessing of our day before Jesus comes back and, uh, and how does that inform Revelation. So I'm, uh, I'm not committal on the millennium. So there you go. But I am optimistic about our future. Uh, all right, so let's move on a little further here. Um, so like lightning, you won't miss the Son of Man in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So before he, before the Son of Man comes in his glory, which again, I take to be uh, destroying Jerusalem and entering into the Gentile kingdom, which he did in the first century there. Before that, he's going to be rejected by generation of his people, which he was. We know that's the cross. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be in the, also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. Remember the story of, of Lot, uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah, they're just doing their thing. And the angel of the Lord shows up and evaluates and, and then suddenly God brings destruction on them. That's the, uh, the imagery here. As in the days of Lot, they were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Now, again, we, we tend to default to this as being um, the second coming, but Everything else that I've been saying is accurate. And I say this graciously. I say this humbly. There is just prophecy is hard. And I, I don't have my mind made up on all this either. But if it's, a, it's the 70 AD period he's talking about, then the Son of Man being revealed in, in the, the worldwide kingdom instead of just a Jewish kingdom, which is what we've seen. Uh, Paul says, the events of our day are bad, but I cannot imagine what it would be without the gospel continuing to go forth. Yeah, exactly. And and flip that around a little bit. Um, there's a lot of, lot of, I mean, this is, wickedness is is ex, it being exposed in our day, maybe like never before. Social media and all kinds of media enables that, right? But that also, we have better communication to, look, uh, to, to preach the gospel. Look, I mean, I'm talking to people all over the world. We can study this together and talk and, and have impact all over the world for the gospel. You don't have to go as a missionary. Uh, we have this ability. And uh, can, you, can you imagine, just imagine if, if what God is doing right now is exposing the, the, the folly, the stupidity of secularism and atheism and showing the great wickedness of those who are holding fast with such tenacity to their desire to be corrupt, to be wicked, uh, abortion and sexuality and all this. God could be exposing all that, making, I mean, is, it, is there anything more laughable in, in uh, I'm not sure there's anything more laughable than this whole idea that we don't know what a woman is. I think future generations are going to look back, even near generations are going to look back at our society and think, what in the world? I think evolution. I think evolution's days are numbered and and that people are going to look back in a, in 
sometime in the near future and say, those people were nuts, just absolutely crazy, insane. And they're certainly going to look back at our time of not knowing the difference between a man and a woman and that we were actually teaching this and trying to teach it in the schools and just laugh. Well, what if God is exposing all of that and because he's got better things for us, we're going to weed out some of that. Anyway, I don't know. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I do work for a nonprofit. Anyway, uh, it will be just the same. The son of, son of man is revealed on that day. The one who's in the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who's in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Um, if this is if this is the rapture, it doesn't work, right? Of course, you're not going to go back into the house. You're flying in the clouds. I, I don't see this as the rapture here. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. See, when the armies come and surround Jerusalem, he's saying, if you stick around and try to gather all your things, it may be too late. The, the Romans did not differentiate between Jews and Christians. Right? They were, they were attacking Jerusalem and they weren't going around saying, hey, you, you there. Are you a Jew? Peter, are you a Jew? Oh, no, you're not. You're a Christian. Okay, great. Well, you may go. That's not how it worked. They just lumped them all together and slaughtered them or besieged them so they would slaughter each other. So uh, the point is, Jesus is warning them, if you see the armies coming, don't take time to gather your stuff. You need to run. And they should have had their bags packed. If they took Jesus' word seriously, they should have had their bags packed, ready to flee. And they may have done that for 40 years. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken. The other will be left. There will be two women grinding the same place. One will be taken. The other will be left. Uh... Verse 36 is probably not in the the best uh, translations anyway. Similar concept. And answering, they said to him, where, Lord? And he said, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. It's going to be deadly. This is a common uh, expression over and over again in the Old Testament prophets for um, when war is done and this is what is left. So it's the same kind of stuff that Jesus is saying back here in Matthew 24. Uh, Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert. He would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour and you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, like 40 years, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then in Matthew's gospel, Jesus goes on to the uh, 
parable of the ten virgins, and it's a parable about being ready, right? Same thing. There's just no clear indication of a change of context here. Um, we won't go through it all right now, but just, you know, the, the five of them were foolish, five were prudent, and five had oil in their lamps, the other didn't have file, and then the, uh, the brood, bridegroom is delaying, and uh, when the bridegroom comes, the five that are ready go out to meet him, and the others uh, uh, are not prepared, that kind of thing. And, and Jesus' warning is, be on the alert. You don't know the day or the hour. Just like a man who goes uh, on a journey, and he comes back later on, and he doles out the, uh, the, talent, the uh, reward. Uh, there's just, uh, there's no clear break here about when this goes to the future. Um, Todd says... Optimil, exactly. Optim, optimistic millennial. Uh, near term, I think Tower of Babel, no telling. Yeah, um, uh, it's just hard to see. Uh, and again, I'm not predicting that this is going to turn around quickly and that we're going to enter a better phase right away. I could see how it could happen. That's the point. Uh, you know, you could see it, right? You could teeter, you could see it teetering either way. Uh, you can see that the Lord rightfully could be judging America because of our wickedness. Uh, from the 60s on, you could argue before that, you know, did, did God judge us for slavery in the 1800s? Um, and the whole war and all that, is he, is he judging us for abortion, for uh, great sexual sin, for other things? Um, there's, there's a lot of corruption in America. Certainly, we deserve it as a nation. On the other hand, there are a lot of righteous people in the U.S. And I'm just talking about the U.S. You know, I know some of you are in other nations and, and uh, you can relate on different scales. But there are a lot of Christians, a lot of righteous people in, uh, in the West. Let's not forget that. Millions. And the church is, uh, the broader church is a mess. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but even that's being exposed. The folly, the, the worldliness, the, the charlatans and, and the lack of commitment to the word of God. Uh, just... There's a lot. It's all being exposed. Question is, for what purpose? To what end? Is it because God is going to bring the hammer and uh, the West is going to become a dark place and then the light's going to shine brighter? You know, China, wouldn't it, that would be like God to, to take the West that has enjoyed God's blessing for so long and bring the dark times here and the underground church that appears to be thriving in China, suddenly it flourishes with truth and uh, and that kind of thing um, could be he be exposing it everywhere. I, I can see I can see both. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a prophet, but I'm trying to figure out what the Word of God predicts. Paul asks, uh, "Is there a transition in Matthew 25?" Uh, there could be. Uh, if there is, then it would seem like the the best place is verse 31 here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So I think it's possible to see a transition here. And, and by the way, and you can use this against me. <laughs> you can use this against me as I walk through this. Um, one of the things I noticed that I had never been so clear before as I was teaching uh, this course on the prophets is the prophets... They, they received all these visions, right? Isaiah is just vision after vision after vision or oracle after oracle. And 
whether it was Isaiah or someone later, gathered all of these visions together and put them in one book. Uh, Isaiah didn't get one 66-chapter oracle that he wrote down. He got dozens and dozens of oracles. And at some point, he wrote them down, and then somebody collected them into what we call the book of Isaiah. And it's really difficult to determine where one vision ends and another one begins. Now, sometimes he says the oracle concerning Babylon or the oracle that he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. But there are plenty of other breaks, it seems, where the the subject just out of nowhere changes. And you start seeing that often enough and you realize, yeah, some of these oracles are very short, some are much longer, and it's hard to figure out uh, when a new one begins. And that, that explains, at least for me, it helps me understand why he could be talking so clearly about the Messiah coming and phrases, prophecies that we now know refer to Jesus in the first century because the, the apostles tell us, right, this is to fulfill what Matthew or what Isaiah said. But then right in that same context, it's talking about the fall of Jerusalem or something that seems like the, the, the glory days, the, the new heavens and new earth or whatever. And part of that is just trying to figure out, is this a different vision? And we don't have very many verbal clues to tell us this is a different vision that Isaiah saw. And it doesn't follow. It's not the same oracle that he was just giving. Well, the same thing could be happening here in Matthew. It makes sense. Matthew, being a Jew, being an apostle writing to and for Jews, that he would collect these statements of Jesus in a similar way. I just looked at Luke 17 and then... Matthew 24, the parallel in Luke is Luke 21. So you've got Luke 17 and Luke 21, separate statements by Jesus. Matthew combines them in 24 and 25. That's not, that doesn't mean that Jesus actually said all of this in one sitting. Now, maybe he did. And he certainly could have repeated himself. All, all good teachers do, right? Uh, but it's also possible that Matthew is collecting the different prophetic things that Jesus said into one section, Matthew 24 and 25, but they're different oracles, different visions. So that in verse 31 here, he could be, Jesus may have said this some other time and Matthew's collected it and this is now talking about the end. So I say you could throw that back at me and say he did that earlier too in Matthew 24 or 25, and and that's possible. Um, But we see some distinction in the oracles in Luke and that's why I like to go to Luke as kind of a reference because he sees this as different, uh, different time, different statements. Uh, a couple comments here. Let's see. Um, CMHOM says, who would have ever thought Psalm 109.8 would be a fulfillment of replacing Judas as one of the 12? That's what difficult pride. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When I teach our course on Acts. And another course we have called Introduction to Biblical Theology, and we look at how the New Testament uses the Old. That's one of the examples I give of Peter is now reading the Old Testament as a Christian. All the, all the apostles are, right? Paul is reading the Old Testament as a Christian because he understands Jesus said, Psalms, prophets, they, they all were about me. So now they've got to go back. And, and we tend to think that God just plopped information into the apostles' head. He just plopped information. Now, I don't think so. I think the Spirit now is leading them to examine the Scriptures with this new filter of how does this point to Christ. And Peter's reading along in Psalm 109 and says, 
oh, this is about Jesus, and therefore this one is Judas. Exactly. Yeah, great, great point. Um, Paul says, could the key be all the nations in verse 32 of, uh, of Matthew 25, I assume? Yeah, all the nations be gathered before him. Yes, here's the problem. Or not the problem, but the, the, the follow-up question. Uh, this kind of statement is all over the Old Testament prophets. All the nations streaming to him. And that seems to be happening now in the, in the New Testament era. So it's hard. Let me look at one more here from Todd, and then we will call it a day. Todd says, uh, whoops. Uh, the millennium is mentioned once in a symbolic book, I'm Amil. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a fair statement. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons I don't like to refer my view of things around the term millennium, because it is really tough. There's uh, every position that someone takes about the millennium there in Revelation 20, I can poke holes in it from the text itself, right? There are some hard things for all, all three of the traditional millennium positions uh, from that text itself that I can poke holes in. The amill position, I can poke holes in, post-mill, pre-mill, and, and you can too. And we've got our answers for them, but they're not all satisfactory, at least for me. That's why I'm hesitant to claim one. All right, our time has gotten away. Thanks for all your input. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to spend one more day working through some of this stuff, and then uh, we'll see. If I get a, a flood of people saying, yeah, let's work our way through the prophets, I'll give that some consideration. And uh, if you say, no, we're sick of all this, do something else, then I'll give that some thought too. But anyway, uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, have a great day in the Lord, and tomorrow we'll come back and talk about a few other things related, and then move into the weekend. God bless.